Hi, this is Wayne Zell, and welcome back to Blueprint for Wealth, your video cast that helps you realize your personal dreams of wealth and freedom. And in this educational segment, we're going to be focusing on the House Ways and Means Tax Bill that was introduced back on September the 13th of this year. The proposals were barely passed out of the Ways and Means Committee, but they are considered to be representative of what the House of Representatives will ultimately pass in terms of tax legislation. What we don't know is the magnitude of the tax bill, but the, in its current state, as introduced by the House Ways and Means Committee, it would raise over $3 trillion and was 881 pages long. The key individual income tax proposals included in the bill include changes in the capital gains rate and the ordinary income tax rate, increasing those rates, expanding the scope of the net investment income tax, limiting the qualified small business stock deduction, and also deleting the ability to make Roth conversions for traditional IRAs. The key estate planning proposals accelerate the reduction of the estate and gift tax exemption from their current levels down to what will happen <clears throat> at the end of 2025 if nothing happens. It also includes radical changes to the use of grantor trusts and eliminates the use of valuation discounts for non-business assets. The key business tax planning proposals in the bill include corporate tax rate increases for C-corporations. Um, it also changes the carried interest rules for partnerships. It reduces the availability of the qualified small business stock exclusion, and it includes a very special provision that actually helps S-corporations convert into partnerships. On the individual side, there's a new 3% surtax that would be imposed for individuals with gross incomes, modified adjusted gross incomes over $5 million or $100,000 for trusts and estates. They also expand the scope of the net investment income tax so that it now would apply to earnings from all pass-through entities, including S-corporations, which historically have escaped the scope of the self-employment tax on excess earnings. Most importantly, it increases the top ordinary income tax rate to 39.6%, but with the expansion of the net investment income tax for 3.8% and the 3% surtax, we're looking at top tax rates of 46.4% for individuals earning over $400,000 if you're single or four fifty dollars for married filing jointly. There are limitations on the use of excess business losses and the ability to claim the 20% deduction that was introduced under the Trump tax bill in 2017 is severely limited to basically anyone with income under specified levels. For joint filing uh, individuals, it would be under $500,000. Any income over that level, you would no longer be able to claim the 20% new tax deduction that was introduced. There are limitations on qualified retirement plan contributions, particularly focusing on IRAs and defied contribution plans that have more than $10 million as of the end of any 
taxable year prior to the year in effect. So if you have more than a certain level of income, you're not going to allow you're not going to be allowed to add assets to your retirement plan if it's over $10 million, but more importantly, you will be required to reduce the size of your IRAs even if you're under the age of 72 to bring it down to an acceptable level. Rollovers to Roth IRAs basically would be no, no longer allowed. Again, if your income is over $400,000, you're not going to be allowed to roll over a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. And they've also introduced prohibitions on making investments by an IRA in certain types of assets. <clears throat> if it's basically a private placement type of investment, which requires that you, uh, it's limited to certain accredited investors, or you have to have certain licenses or credentials, you will not be allowed to use your IRA to invest in those types of assets. If you do, it'll automatically cause your IRA to be treated as a, a non-qualified plan, and it will basically subject all of the earnings inside that IRA to tax. The estate and gift tax changes are numerous and significant. Probably the most notable one is that they're accelerating the decrease in the lifetime exemption to about $6 million for years beginning after December 31, 2021. This was scheduled to take effect at the end of 2025. It also increases the maximum reduction in value for qualifying farm and business use property. But most notably, you can no longer sell an asset from yourself to a grantor trust that you are the grantor of if you created it without that sale being taxed. And for any new grantor trusts created after the date of enactment, the entire value of the trust will be included in your gross estate, which is devastating. Now, it grandfathers in existing grantor trusts, but it also applies to any contribution to a grantor trust in existence prior to the date of enactment after the date of enactment. So if you have an irrevocable life insurance trust and you make a contribution to that trust, it will taint the entire trust and cause the insurance proceeds to be included in your estate. Suffice it to say that the insurance lobby is fighting this provision very hard. Again, it's for effective for trusts created after the date of enactment, or it also applies for contributions to existing grantor trusts after the date of enactment. Valuation discounts, which have been used heavily over the last many years to transfer wealth at reduced values, will no longer be available for certain transfers of non-business assets. A non-business asset is defined in the negative, but it basic, basically includes all cash, all uh, interests in corporations, limited liability companies and partnerships, and various other assets that would normally be considered potentially business assets. They will no longer be entitled to receive valuation discounts. The proposal also includes a look-through rule that prevents you from tiering partnerships to get additional discounts on assets held at the top tier level. The business tax law changes include increases in the corporate tax rate from the current 21% rate to a maximum rate of 26.5%. 
and those who hold carried interests in hedge funds, venture capital funds, and private equity funds would have to hold on to those carried interests for at least five years unless there, was, there are certain exceptions that are met. And those, that five-year holding period would then still allow the interest to qualify for long-term capital gain treatment. But note that the long-term capital gain holding period is the later on the date of the on the the later of the date on which the taxpayer acquires substantially all of his or her applicable partnership interest, and the date on which the partnership acquires substantially all of its assets. So, if the partnership has commitments that don't kick in until year four or five of the partnership to actually fund the purchase of the assets in the partnership, then the capital gains holding period is delayed until the assets are acquired by the partnership. The qualified small business stock gain exclusion, which has been used by entrepreneurs heavily over the last several years since the increase in the exclusion was made back in 2010, would be cut back significantly. Under the Ways and Means proposal, instead of getting a 100% exclusion from capital gains, individuals with adjusted gross income over $400,000 basically would only be able to exclude 50% of the gain. The Ways and Means Committee proposal applies to transactions that were entered into after September 13th of 2021, but we're not certain currently as to where the date of enactment for this particular provision will be or whether this provision will be enacted. There are also limitations on the deduction of excess, excessive compensation, which had included provisions in the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. They were supposed to take effect after 2026. They are accelerating this to, again, pay for a lot of the infrastructure proposals that will wind up in the reconciliation bill. We'll see where we end up on all of these tax provisions. It's not clear yet. There is a positive note that S-corporations that were formed before May 13, 1996 and elected S-status before that date and have been since then an S-corporation would qualify for a special provision that would allow them to convert into a partnership without having to pay tax on the built-in gain inside the S-Corp. But again, this is a, a provision that is only applicable to S-Corps that were in effect prior to the, the date uh, set forth in the House Ways and Means Committee proposal. Lastly, there are provisions in this tax bill that would apply the wash sale rules to sales of cryptocurrency and other digital assets. So watch out for that. If you'd like to know more about what's in the House Ways and Means Bill, check out our website at zellaw.com where we can provide you with a summary of what the Ways and Means Committee has proposed. Obviously, we don't know where things are going to end up, but we'll keep our eyes peeled and we'll keep you informed on Blueprint for Wealth. Stay tuned for our special guest in the next segment. Hi, this is Wayne Zell, and welcome back to Blueprint for Wealth. We're in the special guest portion of the show, and with me today are Jen Wappas and Chris Wappas, husband and wife team at RBC Wealth Management. Welcome. Welcome to you both today. Thank you, Wayne. Thanks for having us. 
Thanks for being on the show. Today, we're going to hopefully give the uh, viewers and the listeners three takeaways. One, we're going to talk about the challenges and benefits of working together as a husband and wife team. And number two, we're going to talk about the risk of putting all your eggs in one basket. And number three, we're going to learn a little bit more about Jen's journey as a woman entrepreneur, because I know there are a lot of women who like to listen to the show and we want to make sure that we're covering their issues. Um, first of all, Chris, tell us a little bit about your journey on how both of you got to RBC. Well, it's been uh, 26 years in the making coming out of uh, University of Pennsylvania as actually as an engineering major. So uh, doing something very different than what I studied at school. Uh, but I fell into this business and after a, a couple moves um, and being married to Jen now almost 10 years and being in the same business uh, all, during that time, uh, we've always talked about working together at, at some point. Um, it just hadn't come to fruition uh, until recently um, based on things that her previous firms, my previous firms, and, and we decided to make it a go um, almost a year ago uh, coming up. So Why RBC? I think, uh, well, very good question. Uh, I think it was immediate in the minds in the sense that Jen was at a RIA for a while. I was at uh, traditional brokerage firms for the bulk Registered of my investment advisor, folks, for those of you that don't know what an RIA is. Yes, sorry about using the lingo, uh, Wayne. Uh, that being said, I was at a more traditional um, brokerage firm uh, along my career. Uh, and in talking to Jen uh, and making each of us feel more comfortable in our, uh, I guess, uh, our teaming uh, and, and future growth prospects, we wanted kind of uh, to find uh, a firm that might give us the best of both worlds in the sense of uh, some more freedom to work with our clients the way they wanted us to work with them, uh, as well as uh, the stability uh, of a, a firm like RBC and the commitment to wealth management in the Americas, uh, that through our due diligence process, um, they're going places as a firm. Super. And Jen, can you give us a little bit of uh, background or color on the challenges and also the benefits of working together as a husband and wife team? Of course, there's um, tons of benefits. I'll start with the challenges first. So um, <laughs> obviously challenges is turning off work um, when you're together, you know, 24 hours a day, you know, you can easily get sucked in on personal time um, when you continue to discuss things. Um, and what we found is just putting hard boundaries in place. You know, when we're home with the kids, it's dinner time. You know, there's no work talk, um, which doesn't always happen. But <laughs> we try our best. Um, and the benefits are the fact that, yes, we are together all the time. So, um, you know, if there is something that we need to catch up on, you know, we have that opportunity to do that much quicker than I think a lot of other teams. Um, I will say definitely in this remote COVID environment, it's helped a ton. Um, just being able to communicate on those small things that you would do around the water cooler. Um, so that's been a, been a huge positive. I mean, I think 
you know, a Sunday morning cup of coffee to just say, hey, here's what we got, you know, can sometimes even alleviate a Monday morning meeting, you know, with the whole team um, or make it more productive as well. You know, I, I work with my wife in my practice as well. And uh, I think the, the hardest, the biggest challenge is one that you pointed out. And that is, when do you turn it off? When do you stop talking about work when you're together, if you're together all the time? Absolutely. And so I, I really can appreciate that statement. Absolutely. And it's, you know, definitely having the separation of who's doing what and what your roles are and staying within those roles as well. Sure. Sure. What are your roles? What are your respective roles on the team? Sure. So um, really, we take a very holistic approach to wealth management, which starts with financial planning with our clients. So a lot of times I am that key person, kind of the point guard that'll take the initial um, role of getting them through their financial plan and um, taking the lead on coordinating, whether that's with you know their outside attorney or CPA, um, but making sure that their custom financial plan is set. And then um, Chris does a lot of, I will say, kind of more of the behind the scenes on the wealth management side as well. Okay. Sure. In addition to that, Wayne, um, we have a pretty tight client service model that we adhere to on a monthly basis with outreaches to our clients. Uh, And to that end, we don't work with 3,000 clients. Uh, we have a kind of a niche, uh, a niche um, number of clients that we work with, and you know we we kind of uh, want to stay on top of everything that they have uh, in their life and what means most to them. That's kind of the joy that we get in this. Uh, so to that end, I, I do handle most of the asset allocation uh, and coordinating with Jen based on what their financial uh, plan dictates. Okay, we're pretty pretty much a um, agnostic, we're agnostic as far as what solutions we use with our clients. And that was getting back to your question about why RBC, they have a very mm-hmm. robust um, array of, uh, of solutions that were not tied to any one thing, but the, the plan really dictates how we uh, help, help our clients on an ongoing basis. Awesome. And, you know, I view the two of you as entrepreneurs because you basically struck out on your own, even though it's with a big firm, you're managing your own practice. And I know that as financial planners, you teach your clients and you try to convince your clients to diversify their assets and make sure that they're not putting all their eggs in one basket. But you all are putting all your eggs in one basket by working together. How does that reconcile with your goal of trying to convince your clients to diversify their holdings? Chris? Well, uh, you're right about that, Wayne, uh, in a lot of different ways. Number one, um, you know, our business is, you know, directly tied to the market in a lot of ways, stock market, that is, right? And that being said, we have our own customized financial plan um, that might differ from others our same age. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, we do have three children. and, you know, I got started a little late, so I, I, I tell my clients I'll probably never retire, but that's a good thing because I like my job and uh, I love my business partner. So that being said, we probably have maybe, uh, as far as Jen and I, maybe a li- bigger liquidity bucket than others our age based on the fact that 
you know, we do have bills to pay. And the fact that if the, if the market did correct for a fair amount of time, our income is directly related to um, market-related downturns. So, uh, you know, we've seen that. I've been doing this 26 years. I've seen plenty of dips in the market. And I'm not going to say I learned this right out of the box, but through experience, uh, you know, we've customized what we needed to do uh, for ourselves to, to realize that, yeah, if we're all in on one particular uh, business and, and certainly um, as partners, both at home and, and here in, at work, uh, we need to more than plan for a rainy day. Absolutely. Jen, I'm going to switch over to you because, you know, I think your business more than any other business is dominated by men. And I know that it's, it's, it's changing. The whole environment is changing. So, you know, as a woman entrepreneur, what's it like being a woman and trying to build a business that is currently dominated by men? How do you overcome the bias, the obstacles. Tell us a little bit about your story in that regard and, and how's it going? Absolutely. So um, you definitely have to have thick skin. And I've been very lucky to have grown up um, as a middle child between two brothers. So I think I've been prepped for it my entire life. Um, definitely was was picked on <laughs> as, a, as a kid. Um, and so, but no, I'll, in all honesty, I mean, I, it comes down to being competent at what you're doing and knowing what you're talking about at the end of the day. And, you know, we do, you know, I'm a CFP. Um, I'm also a certified exit planning advisor um, on top of that and doing your job and doing it well. And I will say there's times where I've definitely, um, you have to not let that bother you. I mean, again, yes, but you're just as competent and you're just, you have just as much right to be there as anybody else. Um, and I'm lucky. I, I learned that very young in this business, you know, being in the business almost 15 years now myself. Um, I started out as an intern and as a, uh, an assistant. And um, once I got used to everything and really understood um, my role and what I was doing, you know, you'd hear, some of the, the males in the office, you know, walking around talking about stuff. And I was like, I know just as much as them, you know, there's nothing holding me back to be an advisor to do this. Um, and that was really kind of when I had my aha moment um, when I was like, I'm going to just do it. And I, you know, haven't looked back since. Um, and to be honest, I think as a female, there are some um, fantastic traits that we just have naturally um, just being better listeners being better communicators um, that especially help when talking with clients and um, learning about what their needs are, especially through the financial planning process of having um, empathy and working with them through whatever their goals are at the end of the day and really understanding what that is. Do you find that other women have helped you along the way? Do you have any mentors that, uh, that have helped you grow in the business? Tons of mentors. And I will say mentors um, on the female side and male side. So both. And I think that as women, we need both because you need to get that other perspective. Um, I've been really um, lucky to grow up in a family of entrepreneurs and actually have my my mother was um, an entrepreneur and was in um, the financial services industry as well to be a huge mentor for me. And actually growing up, I, I didn't think I wanted to get into the business, but uh <laughs> 
here I am 15 years yeah. later. <laughs> sure. I mean, both of you come from backgrounds of being athletes, right? You were uh, college athletes, high school athletes, and that's kind of cool. And that makes you very competitive. Are you competitive with each other? We have it. <laughs> For sure. On a lot of, on a lot sure. of yeah, Absolutely. But it helps with your discipline as well. So I'll say, yes. you know, being in that regiment and having to do those things and the practice and whatnot. I mean, it is the best practice that you could do at the end of the day to help you in a per professional and personal life. Chris, last question for you. What, what advice would you give to young CFPs, financial advisors who are just trying to break into the profession and, uh, and what should they do to become successful? Uh, well, I would say be true to who you are. Don't try to be, don't try to pretend, um, be someone you're not to try and impress somebody with because of what they might want to hear because it'll shine through as you know complete phoniness and and I, I think over the years what I've seen I've learned through others mistakes which you know I, I think is the is the easiest way to to learn without making those yourself so I've seen some things um that I, I want, wanted to be earlier. So I wish I had, to, to Jen's point, a few more mentors in this business than I, than I have had. But at the end of the day, uh, I think, uh, and I get this from my late mother, it, it was really all about being true to your character, um, having a work ethic, putting work before play, making you know, an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial business like this. Uh, the upside is that there's nobody telling you when you can go see your kids you know, lacrosse game or what have you. But at the end of the day, you got to work to make a living too. So you can't take the entire weekend off after two days of doing it. It's tough it. being an entrepreneur. There's three things we got out of today. There are challenges and benefits of working together as a husband and wife. It's hard to leave work at home, but sure. the benefits are that you get to spend time with somebody that you really like. Number two, um, it's okay to put your eggs in one basket as an entrepreneur is what I'm hearing. And I certainly hope so, because I'm doing the same thing. And number three, uh, women entrepreneurs are rising in the field of uh, registered investment advisors. In fact, I re represent a big RIA on the West Coast, and uh, it's a woman-owned RIA, and they are, uh, they're just rocking. And so I, I, all I can say to you both is uh, continued success, and I wish you the best of success and luck in your in your growth and your building the practice because uh, you deserve it. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you for having thanks us. For, thanks for being special guests on Blueprint for Wealth. And tune in next time for another special topic and special guest on Blueprint for Wealth. Our thanks go to Jen Wappas and Chris, Chris Wappas of RBC Wealth Management. They've been great guests today. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.